everybody welcome back to another episode of posting up with keith smith the legend to my right and me myself and i adam taylor we didn't hit you with an episode last week i had some serious internet issues which have been resolved but you know these things are sent to test us unfortunately day one how you doing today keith I'm good, man. I know the internet's new in remote England where you are. It's 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 a newfangled <laughs> edition there. So it's uh, I'm sure you guys will get caught up soon. Eventually, right? I mean, I'm still on the <laughs> dial up. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's uh sometimes it just comes in like whoops. Like I, I I've really been looking at Starlink actually because that that's meant to be some good stuff. But um, I digress. I was gonna say, yeah, this is not Adam and Keith talk tech because because i'm about out of, of ability to do that so well, let's talk basketball i mean basketball is technically technology <laughs> sure uh, we watch it via tv <laughs> um so i want to go back about a week maybe it's just under just over and i want to talk celtics warriors we had this penciled in last week uh, before obviously we cancelled the show and the reason i've kept it there is just because i think not only was it a good game to really start this conversation with but it's also got like bigger picture type of connotations to it, you know. Like this is a team; these are two teams that played each other in the NBA Finals last year. This is potentially another Finals matchup because whatever the Warriors do during the regular season means nothing. They they just have a way of flipping this switch, shortening their rotation, and they know what it takes to win, right? So I just want to first of all kind of get your feel on what you if you remember the game vividly or somewhat like how you felt coming away from that game how you felt for the celtics how you felt for the warriors and then we'll look at the larger picture of whether it's a finals preview or not yeah i think looking at that one game one it was good to see the celtics just that they can beat the warriors right like, like there'd been that question that had creeped in is like dude, does golden state have boston's number and will the celtics be able to figure this out and after the poor showing out in the bay area they 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 really played pretty well in this one. And I thought what was very interesting, and I know some people may look at me like it was 121 to 118, but that was in overtime. And not only that, it was a fairly high scoring overtime, 15 to 12. So I came away super impressed with the Celtics defense. I thought they did a great job locking in really Yo, running the Warriors off of good shots. They were all over Stephen Curry. There was some of the drop coverage mixed in there, but there was a lot of, like, let's get up into him. Let's really make, make it tough on him. They contested well against Jordan Poole and against uh, Andrew Wiggins as well. So I, I thought that was a really good sign for where Boston can go defensively. And then on the offensive end, they shot like crap. They they couldn't make shots again. They another fairly high turnover game against the Warriors, but they got all over the offensive glass. They, they just pulled it up. 18 offensive rebounds in that game. And they really Golden State, Steve Kerr switched to that small lineup that gave Boston trouble in the finals. And the Celtics base said, you know what, we're gonna stay big. We're going to go to the boards, and they really did, and that that earned them. You know, when you out-rebound a team, I think it was like 18-8 um, on the offensive glass, you're just creating you know 10 more second-chance opportunities. Even if you only score in a few of those, that's you know, like 10 extra points that you wouldn't have otherwise, and that sets you up you know, in a different place. And you hope next time, if there's a next time that they play, Boston makes a few more shots from their side. Uh, Golden State's probably thinking we're not going to shoot quite quite as poorly again, but it, it was really just a kind of a fun chess match for a regular season game that you don't usually get. And that size that Boston went with really helped in terms of rim pressure as well. Like mm -hmm. I think that when they don't shoot well, especially towards the earlier part of the season, I felt like they, and this has been the Celtics' problem for multiple years at this point, they kind of get in their own head and try and shoot themselves out of that slump. Yeah. Like, and Brad Stevens, when he was coaching, was like, stop trying to hit home runs. We just want you to hit singles. But they actually did that. They started getting to the rim more. When they were getting rebounds, they weren't always looking for a shooter. They might be looking for someone that's going to catch and then slash off the rip through. And that, to me, just added value in terms of, like, yeah, we learned our lesson last year that we, like, if we go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Warriors and try and win a three-point shooting contest, like, four out of seven times, we're probably not going to win because when they've got clay, they've got Steph and so forth. So that was a nice kind of adjustment for me that wasn't really a coaching adjustment, but it was definitely a, if we're going to be able to hold like face these guys in another final series, 
then we do need to be able to prove that we can attack the rim and beat their coverage when they start trying to build bodies around that. They bu- they don't build a wall, but they do like to flood the paint and make it really difficult in that way, and then they kind of sprint out to guys. So the question yeah, I've that, got... that's the, the to, just to add to that too is I like that it, at no point in this game when shots weren't falling did we get the whole shoulder slump heads go down and it just turns into a mess and that's something that this team you would hope would be passed fully. Uh, they aren't always still, you know, I think it is still important to remember. Yes, they have finals experience now. They've all been to the playoffs a lot, but this is still a team that's led by two guys in their mid twenties. Uh, you know, for the most part, they've got a couple other veterans there that do stuff, but you know, when things go south, sometimes they go really, really south on them and they, you know, and that's just, it happens sometimes, you know, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where this game, it was good to see because, it kind of had that feel at a couple points of like, oh, this might get out of hand and the Warriors may roll them. And then now we're going to be having a completely different conversation, you know, even here you know, a week later or so. But but they didn't. They, they hung in. So the question you've got now is, do the Warriors have enough left in the tank to make another final run? Uh, yeah, they're making it really hard on themselves. That That's the difficult part right now, I think, for them is – um. Right, let me pull up the standings to make sure I'm not completely pulling stuff out of thin air here. But I think their challenge now, when you look at it, is all right. So they're tenth. They're 23 and 24. A uh, crazy stat about the West is every team between five and the Lakers at 13 have 24, 25, or 26 losses. So they're all right there um, with each other. The Warriors, even though they're one game under 500, they're only two and a half games out of fourth. So Home court advantage is still there. I, I think I know they've said we don't really care about home court advantage on that. And that's fair. They they probably shouldn't, right? They can win anywhere. But you don't want to be in the playing tournament because not only are you one, you're exposing yourself to the risk of a bad shooting night or two and you're out. It's it's over. That's the closest thing we have in the NBA to NCAA tournament basketball in the one and done nature. But also, you don't want to be coming in as the seventh or eighth seed and having to play three tough series on the road just to get to the finals. Like, that's going to be draining. So let's see if they can get up into that four or five range or at least at the very least into the top six in the final short playoff spot. Then I'm going to feel a heck of a lot better about where this team can go. But I'm not out on them by any means. And now I'll put you on the spot before we move on. And I really test that Celtics kind of uh, loyalty for you. Uh, and I know from very first hand that you're not one to give a homer take, so I like I like being able to do this with you. If it did come down to a Celtics Warriors Finals, which side of the fence would you like to sit on for that? They get to feel a little bit better about Boston this time around because I'm fairly certain, barring you know major runs either way or collapses uh, for the Celtics that they'd have home court advantage this time around. And I think that would be huge uh, for them. I think had they had home court advantage, we might've gotten a seven game series uh, last year uh, out of that. So I feel a little bit better too. I think also having Malcolm Brogdon just makes such a big difference for the Celtics. It's, he, as we record this on Wednesday morning, you saw when not having him the last couple games against the magic and the heat have done uh, where just when things kind of get a little sideways, Brogdon tends to be the stabilizer and the guy who comes in and just kind of gets people set up. So that's where I really feel like, you know, having him would be absolutely huge, um, especially against a team like Golden State, because you just can't have those offensive lulls because they may go through a period where they rip off, you know, a 15-0 run already up 10 and now all of a sudden the game's completely over. So you can't go through those big lulls. And that's what Brogdon gives Boston that they didn't have last time around. I'm going to take Boston too. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat the fact that I'm just being a bit of a homer. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. But no, I think that I've spoke about this before, so I'm not going to harp on it. But I do think that the Warriors, age is slowly going to catch up to them. As you said, unless they've got home court advantage, those legs could be tired. And I just don't think they have the balance with the back end of their rotation that they have done in previous years. And that can that usually rears its head more when that rotation shortened and everyone's role kind of has more weight to it than what it does during the regular season. You'd yeah. be less likely to chop and change that rotation as frequently. Mm-hmm. Moving on, the a team that's been interesting to me, <clears throat> and I loved them last year. You Don't better worry. not say the Houston Rockets or I'm, I'm done. I'm going to clear it. No, no Houston talk today. Okay, perfect. No Houston talk today. 
Um, unless you want to talk, Houston. No, no, move on. <laughs> um, no, I, you, I liked them last year. Uh, Houston, oh, team I've liked this year. Um, is Charlotte the Charlotte Hornets? So I was a big fan of Charlotte underneath Borrego just for their offensive kind of in, intuitiveness or ingenuity. Like they were just very fun to watch. Right this year. They're still all right, but they're just it's not the same. And it just feels like they, they need to kind of tear things down around Lamelo and rebuild back up. The fit just doesn't make sense now. Hayward isn't what they hoped he would be. We could have told them that before they inked into the deal. Terry Rozier is definitely ready to go and be <clears throat> on a, a more primary ball handler on a bigger team, maybe, or just on a team with more depth that can kind of mask his deficiencies and allow him to thrive offensively. And they don't have any bigs, you know, and they've got decisions to make over Washington. And I, I just want to get your takes on, first of all, like, is there a way they can fix it without having to tear down? I don't think so. Hey, it's it's too much. You, you get too much in contracts to work around to try to fix it without tearing it down. Gordon Hayward, obviously, uh, you know, his deal just being so big at, what is it? It's 30 million this year, 31.5. Next year, you've got Rogier locked in essentially after this season. He's got the stupidest non guarantee in the league. It's only like 1 million not guaranteed in his final year, It's which is absolutely pointless. But it is, he's got uh, 75 million locked in after this year. Uh, that's just tough. And then LaMelo's extension eligible this summer. And course you're going to do everything you can to keep him pj washington's do a new contract they've got the miles bridges situation still kind of looming over them it's just a mess and it's not this is what's hard is obviously they did not go into day one of free agency last year thinking miles bridges was basically going to be off the table completely as a resign possibility they they thought they'd have a lineup of you know a big probably mason palmley Bridges, Hayward, Rogier, Ball. That's our starting group. PJ Washington will play a lot off the bench on the nights when Hayward is out. We'll slide Bridges down one, play Washington, and those kind of things. And and Hayward's been out plenty. Rogier's missed time. Ball's missed a lot of time. It's just a mess. I think in a lot of ways, though, they one, if they come away with Victor Wembenyama, who cares? Right? You, 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 you fell apart in the perfect right time. Like this was great. Now you've got him and LaMelo. Those are your building blocks moving forward. And this is perfect. But as it stands, it, it's just, I mean, it's LaMelo ball. And I like Mark Williams a lot. He's probably the player I like second most, like compared to overall expectations on that team. Uh, maybe Jalen McDaniels, but that's not great. It <laughs> shouldn't like a backup rookie big man. Second most of all the guys on your, on your roster. That, that's probably a problem. It's, it's interesting, right? Because when you watch them, I think they run some good offensive actions. Like the very common actions. They don't seem to do as much as what they did last year. So you yeah, there's into... not a lot of creativity. You're not going to get that with the Steve Clifford team. He doesn't want you to do a 10 million different things. It's like, let's do 10 things but let's do them well and really execute well. them at a high level. Yeah, you know, they're running RAM actions, some Zoom actions, just very common things from around the league. Mm -hmm. But you feel good about it when you're watching it. You're like, hey, it's, there's some form of structure to what they're doing. But then you go and check the statistics, and it's like they're dead last in offensive rating. They're just There's just too many stretches where the ball's not falling. Um, no pun intended, obviously, with Lamelo being on the team. <laughs> uh, their defense isn't much better. They're 27th in the league. So then, when you're looking at it and you're like, they're just dead, they're just bad everywhere. And I, I'm not one to think that they've got good talent development on that team. Like, sure, you hit Louis Lamelo, but he came into the league ready made. Like, it, mm -hmm. it's like not being able to hit with LeBron when he was a rookie. It's just gonna, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit different with Wembenyama because. Obviously, as we spoke about before, you know you need to see how he handles the physicality. You need to develop certain aspects of his of his frame and his understanding of the game is going to need to be worked on. And I'm not sure that Charlotte's the right place for a guy like that to land, just because. Hey, you look at James Booknight's numbers now. I'm not saying Booknight's a, a great talent, but he was a, you know, he was a lottery pick. He he played well for UConn. He they're not doing a lot to kind of feature him to play through mistakes. And when you're a bad team, you really want to feature these lottery picks and, 
allow them to just kind of figure stuff out, right? So I I get what you're saying. Like, hey, we we're bad, and then we get Wemba Miyama. Then you know we were bad for a reason, and we can kind of play it off. But I'm just not sure that under the way that under their coaching system right now, if Wemba Miyama actually changes much for them. Yeah, it's obviously you take him right because it's it's him and you you hope him and Lamelo and talent wins out in the end and that'll push you forward. I think the challenge is so, so if we go to last season, they were trying to win games, and Book Knight and Kai Jones, they're they're two kind of young guys that they've got. They weren't going to play a lot because they had a stuffed guard rotation and they had a stuffed forward rotation, and the idea was. Hey, we're going to draft these two guys, you know, late lottery guys, mid first round guys, and let them develop behind some other guys. And then if we lose PJ Washington, this was assuming obviously Miles Bridges would be a part of things long term a year ago. Um, then we got Kai Jones is maybe ready to step in as the replacement. And we just kind of keep that development machine chugging along. The problem is last year's things kind of slipped away from them. I don't think they did a good job reprioritizing. And I think this year they've really done a poor job. Book Knight and Jones still don't play. And this team stinks. So the problem is, I don't know how many more games you can continue to roll out. What are you getting out of playing Ball, Rogier, Hayward, Washington, Plumley lineups? Losses, sure. But you're going to lose anyway if you play the kids. And all you're doing is not playing the kids and giving them minutes. So I would be really heavily leaning towards playing. I'll say a couple of things too on their, their profile. They run a lot of really good stuff, as you said, which ends up in a missed jump shot. They can't shoot anymore. I don't know what's happened. And the weird thing is LaMelo is actually shooting. Okay. He's at 37%, which was like the big question is, is he going to shoot well enough in the NBA? He's at 37% from three Gordon Hayward under 30%. And now he's starting to become a non-shooter, which that's really weird and, and worrisome for where, where he's at. So that's the that becomes your you're starting to be your challenge points with this group is all right. If you can't make shots, it's gonna become really, really hard. All that said, I would let's see what the trade deadline brings in a couple weeks. We're about two weeks from the trade deadline. Try to move some of these veterans if you can, and if not. You got to start sitting these guys, play the kids, because it doesn't matter anyway. But find out what you got. Can Booknight give you two good months to close the season? What do you got in Kai Jones? Mark Williams should be playing more than Plumlee, no matter what the rest of the way Plumlee on the roster or not. You just, and if you lose a whole bunch of games, so what? You're losing a whole bunch of games anyway. Might as well lose with the kids getting the minutes and finding out what you have moving forward. Couldn't find the unmute button. I do apologize. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agree. I think like I've always been. If you're, if you don't feel like you're going to get out of the first round, I'm always. And I know this probably goes against the competitive nature of the league in itself. But I'm like, hey, I'd much rather give the young core first round experience in the playoffs than a bunch of vets that are just going to be bouncing at the end of the year anyway because they're on a one-year deal or you're going to try and trade them because you know you're trying to enter that youth movement anyway so I, i'm i'm completely with you like if if you can give these guys these like the kai jones the book knight the williams if you can give them minutes then you need to go and do that because even if they don't stick with you their trade value increases and then you can start do, trying to make moves that do kind of align with the talent that you've got there very hard to to draft perfectly especially when you wasn't expecting to need to draft perfectly and when a lot of your picks are coming in the middle of the first round too like obviously lamella was a high pick when everything kind of fell apart on them a couple years ago but it's it's it, that's difficult to consistently nail guys in the you know 10 to 25 range like that's just not you know, nobody has like the greatest ever track record on that some teams do well with it and then some teams like memphis draft guys and then they develop guys and they do great with, with that but i think uh you know for charlotte the challenge is you know you've got you've, you now it's it's find out time right because it to to keep it clean you already did the f around part and that didn't work out so good so now let's find out right let's find <laughs> out with the rest of the guys we have because you've already you know you, you've already f around enough where it it stinks and it's it is what it is I would 
I mean, veteran guys, you you owe it to yourself through the holidays, through the first part of the year to try and be as good a team as you can. Everybody should be doing that. I don't believe in teams tanking from from the jump, from opening night, um, because I just think that sends a bad message overall to everybody, including your own fans of like, hey, don't watch because we're trying to be terrible. But the minute it's clear, which right around the holiday time, all right, now switch. And the Hornets fans are smart enough to know all right, hey, we get it. Like, play, play the kids. Let's go from there. It's, there's no reason to be playing all these veteran guys who, by the time they are good again, they're not going to be on this team anyway. Or if they are, you're probably not going to be very good. You're going to have a high ceiling of 500 in a playing team again. And then everything just starts again, which seems to be Charlotte's MO anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to be okay. We're not going to be great, but we're going to yep. be okay. Enough to charge money for you to watch us, but not enough to <laughs> Charlotte, charge Washington. Uh, Minnesota quite often, although they've, you know, they tried to really go for it, but yeah, some of those teams feel like, eh, as long as we're right around the play and we're good. Right? Yeah. We're happy. We can charge winning. Yeah. Yeah. We're not giving it away. Right. So the yeah. next team I want to talk about, and I haven't watched much of this team and I have no specific reason. It's just, I like watching other teams and they just never seem to be playing this team when I come to watch them. I should make more of an effort. It's the trailblazers. I think I've seen them twice all year. Couldn't even tell you their deep bench. It's terrible <laughs> of me. Um, so I just want to kind of get you. I know you, you're uh, you're a bit more fair with the games that you choose to watch, where I'm kind of like, no, I want to watch this one. Um, so I just want to kind of get your take on it and see how they're doing. Kind of just to check in what you think's going right, what you think's going wrong, where could they be doing better, all that type of stuff. Sure. Yeah. For Portland, weird, weird season. They 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 just won. You know, uh, you know destroyed the Spurs the, the other night but they're so they're kind of back into hopefully an upswing because they'd been on a downswing they'd lost uh, a handful of games in a row it had dipped all the way from being in that running for maybe an outside shot at home court advantage in the west to they dipped all the way down into out of the play-in range which is again to go back and I'll just repeat it just because it is absolutely bonkers Every team from 5 to 13 has 24, 25, or 26 losses. So they're all right on top of each other there. It's It really is the uh, perfect example of have a good week and your four spots up in the standings have a bad week and you're three spots lower in the standings. But with Portland, I think their challenge is they're just they're in transition and Chauncey Billups is trying to get them to be a more competitive defensive team. And sometimes I think that's come at the expense of being an elite offensive team. I think they have all the pieces to be a very good offense. They're good offense. They're seventh, I believe, in the league in offensive rating right now, um, per basketball reference. But they're down in like the mid-20s in defense. And it's I would rather at some point be what you are. Like I think I'm going to use the Knicks as an example of this, but going the other way a couple years back when they were an elite defensive team, but then they were kind of eh, not so good 20th in offense. And then they tried to become a good offensive team. And that changed what was really good about them defensively. You played too many non-defenders when they first added Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. And, and it slipped. And now what made you special wasn't special anymore. I think that's a little bit where Portland is. I think they're not they're, – they're good offensively, but they're not special. And that's where I feel like that that – balance that they're trying to achieve which is right that is your ideal that's where you ideally want to be is pretty good at both it's you know the very best teams are top 10 in both um they're just not going to get there defensively and i think you know that emphasis has hurt them as far as the way they go on the offensive side of the floor and then everything else when you look at it it's all just kind of average. <laughs> like it's nothing jumps out at you as great. I mean, Damian Lillard's awesome. I love Anthony Simons. I call Portland Toronto West because I like all of their guys. And then I watch them and I'm kind of like, I don't, I, I like them all. I just don't necessarily like them all together. I feel something always feels kind of off. Um, you know, with that, it feels like in big moments in some of their games, it's like, Lillard and Simon should have the ball and create, but then it's it seems like the ball finds its way to Hart and Grant, and they're running the actions, and that doesn't go quite as well. While Lillard and Simons are, you know, relegated away from the ball, and it just feels feels a little weird and off. It's just something isn't that they haven't hit the right mix like they did a, a couple of years ago when they made that West uh, Finals run. Do you think they need need a wing creator? Um. 
they need they need someone with real size that can be that secondary guy. So if you trap Lillard, I want someone with size who can get downhill a little bit better than Jeremy Grant. I like Jeremy Grant a lot um, as a player. I just I feel like it's it it's just a little bit of a weird spot for him where I think Jeremy Grant looks at his best. Like he did when he was with Denver where, I mean, shocker, right? I mean, Nikola Jokic has Aaron Gordon looking like an all-star right now. So you put good guys who can cut and finish and do a lot of different things next to a guy like Jokic and you can, you're going to look pretty good. I think too, they've gone away from, I think because they have Grant, um, they want to make sure he's getting touches to create. They've gone away from some of the stuff they ran with Nurkic, where Nurkic is pretty good in the handoff game. He's pretty good at, you know, the high, low passing to cutters. And uh, sometimes even to, if they had a second big ish guy out there, but yeah, it's, it's hard because I think I, I like Josh Hart quite a bit too, right? You're getting the sense I think of, like, boy, I really like all these guys, but it I just, just don't, they don't mesh. Yeah, it just doesn't – something just feels off, and I'm not entirely sure, you know, what, what it is because some nights you catch them and it's like, all right, I get it. Like, this all works, but all too often it just feels a little bit messy. Do you feel like Nurkic has lost a step or two? Yeah, I think so, and, and it's tough. This is where there's this misconception in my mind in the NBA of, you know, well – Big guy like him has serious injuries. It, it's not a big deal because he's not relying on athleticism. That's where how the story goes, right? But the reality is if you're a average to below average athlete and you have injuries that take you down to below average or down to a you know, way below average, it becomes really hard to stay on the floor. As opposed to if you're an elite athlete and you dip just a little bit, as long as you can do other stuff, it doesn't involve running and jumping as long as you can shoot a little, you can handle a little, you can do other things. You're going to be perfectly fine. It's when you, you dip. We see this most more often in um, it kind of, it's the polar opposites, right? It's either the small guards because all of a sudden if that explosion is gone, like unfortunately one of my favorites, Isaiah Thomas with that explosion is gone, then it becomes really hard for them to stay on the floor on offense. With bigs, it's almost like if you can't move the way you used to, it becomes really hard to stay on the floor in defense because offenses are so good at finding. Whether it's it, for so long, it was let's go into a straight, you know, we'll, we'll go into a straight, uh, you know, one through three, five, pick and roll, and we'll attack the big in an isolation. Now, what it becomes is or we need to find a little bit of a different way, but we're going to find them anyway. It might be. He's not involved in the primary action, but as all the rotations go, our goal is to attack him off the bounce and get him moving in his feet. And I think that's where Nurkic has struggled a little bit. That said, go back to the way he played under Terry Stotts a lot more. Go back to a lot more of that drop coverage. That was fine. It works. It works in the regular season. Um, go back into you know using him more in offense. You know where he's kind of playing arc to arc kind of kind of stuff where it's you know he's not asked to to do a ton you know up at the level of the ball and defense, but offensively, yeah, let him facilitate. Let him run some of the stuff. Run some of your offense through him. So he's definitely lost a step, but there's still a useful player in there. Problem is. Is that a useful player at 15, 16 million a year? Or is that a useful player at like eight to 10 million a year? And that's that's tough for a team that's going to be dancing around the tax line like Portland is. I like Nurkic as well. That's the worst thing about it. I always thought of him as like Jokic Light when he was actually yeah. healthy. And he really is. Like he I, he's never going to be the I mean, it sounds silly to say he's never going to be Jokic as a passer, right? Because nobody is. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe. Nikola Jokic, he's already the best big man passer we've ever seen in the league. Yeah. I think when all is said and done, it's just going to be, he may be the best passer we've ever seen in the NBA. It might be at that, you know, Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd, John Stockton level of this guy was that good, you know, as a passer. So that's where for me, it's, it's fine. Like you said, call him. Uh, Jokic light and it might be like Jokic light and then add a little bit more lightness to it you know just <laughs> just to be be okay but he can do things with the ball in his hands yeah we're not saying he's can't believe it's not Jokic sure. we're just saying he's some type of mm -hmm. Jokic light and I like that margarine joke by the way um <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on can't believe he's not Jokic we don't title the episode that there's something wrong uh okay so we're going on to our real or not real it's one of my favorite segments because I kind of just Get to pick your brain for five sure. minutes. I want to go. I want to go and look at the the Knicks. You mentioned them a moment ago. 
Now, I've seen the fan base is really split, right? I was speaking to a buddy <laughs> of mine that covers the Knicks yesterday, actually, and he seems to be quite content with Tibbs and the way he's trying to develop the team. And, you know, they, they, they've built this resilient personality throughout the year. They lose a couple, then they rip off like an eight or nine win stretch. And we're seeing developments from the players that Tibbs wants to see developments from, apart from RJ Barrett that just decided that defense doesn't exist. But then there's a whole other side of the Knicks fan base that Phil Tibbs lacks creativity offensively. Like it's a very rudimentary, fundamental based style of play. He hasn't found the best way to get any form of production out of Hartenstein. So I just want to see, like, real or not, I'm just quick question are the Knicks a legit playoff team this season? Yeah, they're going to be a playoff team. I feel pretty confident in that. I think they're one and done, though, as far as they'll get in. And I think they're running the risk of if they're down in the play-in tournament, which is where they are right now, they could fall in the, in the play-in tournament because if their shots aren't falling, it's really hard for them to win. They, they just they don't get enough consistently going to the basket. They're very reliant on hitting jump shots. Um they're not only just as a three-pointers, but also, you know, those Julius Randle mid-rangers are still a thing. Uh, and I, I say this knowing the other night, I think he hit five threes in the first quarter and was just kind of playing out of his mind. But it's weird. They have really transitioned to, and it's been as this year has gone along, they started out lights out as a defensive team. Then the offense started getting better. And then at some point, those two passed each other. And now they're like a middle-of-the-pack defensive team, and they're a top 10 offensive team, which even when you watch them play, it doesn't make a lot of sense because, like, how, how is this happening? Like, I don't I don't get this. But, yeah, it's a it, – it, they're a weird team. I Wheel as a playoff team, sure, but they're not going to win a round. They're, they're going to lose in the first round. And I would do be doing everything I can to get out of that, um, you know, uh, 7 to 10 range and out of the play-in if I was them because I don't – Hey, just can you imagine them in the Hawks in a playing game, do or die, and like Trey Young rolls in the basket square? Now, now I'm talking myself into I want it to happen, right? Like I want that. Trey Young's like New York's thing. biggest villain, like, right? The- yeah. So <laughs> I, I want that to happen, but I mean, that would give, if I was a Knicks fan, I would be going to that not feeling very good. If that, was I, I, I like watching the Knicks. I, I do think that uh, I, 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 I don't think Tibbs is a bad coach. I just think he needs. Uh, a create a more an offensively minded assistant. I, I think. Yeah, if somebody could really run the yeah yeah like an offensive coordinator like in the NFL like someone really run the offense like if he could have had like a before he was a head coach like a Chris Finch on his yeah. staff to say run 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 the show offensively yeah I think that would have been really good for him. Yeah, I think that's where you see the Knicks just turn a corner because then he can focus on the defense. Right, moving on, Carl Kuzma, with this name's floating around everywhere. Sure. Uh, as a Celtics guy, I didn't like Kuzma for the first few years of his career. I've seen more of him recently, and I actually like his game. I think he's a solid, he's a reliable, solid, impactful guy. Uh, basically, from what you read now, Washington want to keep him around. Kuzma's not really sure if that's where he wants to be. You know, he's already won one championship back in 2020. Maybe he wants to try and compete again. It's not that he led the team to a championship, but he was there. Um, Real or not, that he's going to stay with Washington beyond this year? Oh, you you flipped it. I wasn't expecting that to be the way you asked that question. Um, I this is great radio. Me pausing and thinking. Um, that means I did a good job. <laughs> no, you I'm really fine. did. <laughs> I think so. I think the Rui Hachimura trade indicates they're going to pay him what it takes to keep him there. But that makes me really, really nervous because Kyle Kuzma is a guy who, if you pay him 20 to 25 million, all right, you get north of 25 million per season. That's tough because they're probably going to resign Porzingis. And now all of a sudden, your team is Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma on super expensive deals. And what? Like, what are you filling in around those guys with? And that's that's not a group I feel very good about saying, yeah, that's my core. This is that's not um you know, I, nobody really does the three-man teams anymore, but that's not a, you know, group group where you're like, yep, that's it. There, there it is. There's my three-man core. That's not what the Nets hoped KD, Kyrie, and Harden were going to be for them, right? Like, that's – it's nice. It's good. But, like, what, 45 wins good? 
like is that where are you really going and maybe that is where washington's going maybe they want to be and like hey just get us into the six range and we're pretty good we feel happy with with that but you know kuzma's a good player it's a good score i'd like to say take a couple less threes a game get back into getting downhill a little bit more he's starting to become a little too reliant on on off the dribble three pointers that i don't think are necessarily great shots for him some of that has been beal's been out of the lineup and he's been kind of the, the go-to guy to create but I like him. I like that he's become a much more willing passer over his two years in Washington. He's doing a lot with the ball in his hands. But, yeah, stays there? I think so. But I'm nervous that Washington's going to overpay him too too much to keep him around. Was you a fan of the pink sweatshirt, the one that ended up on a bobblehead? <laughs> the giant one or, or the one he wore, like, last night? Did you like see the that? super long one? Oh, yeah. That? So that one was – I, I don't even really understand what that was. And, I, and obviously look at, look at how impeccably dressed I am. I'm Mr. Fashion over here. Um, but it is, I think last night he wore this. It looked like, you know, when you're a kid, like, like you'll pull your, your front of your shirt, like up over your head, uh, like almost makes like a, like almost like a mask, but you keep like the sleeves on your shirt, like the sleeves stay on your arms. That's what his sweater looked like last year. So he walked in like completely bare and torso, bare chest and torso, like rolled in to the arena, but with long sleeve sweater with it pulled over his head, but obviously designed that way. It was like a mask with like eye cutouts and stuff. It was weird. I, I don't know. Fashion, I guess it's, it's, you know, obviously. I, I, I don't think it's fashion. I think that certain NBA, well, when you're in the NBA, you transcend what normal people are expected to behave oh, like. Oh, doubt. And yeah. then you just buy things because you, like, you know, <laughs> pennies to you, sure. and then you just, like, live with the consequences. Moving on. True. <laughs> the Suns. The Suns. The Suns aren't the team that they were last year. I like to think that Jay Crowder not being in that rotation has actually had more of a negative impact on Phoenix than what people probably would like to believe. I just think he yeah. was a great connector for them. They're struggling right now. Do you think that's real or do you expect them to come good? I, I'm i going to believe in the veterans on that team. I'm going to believe when they get their guys back and they're healthy that they'll be a pretty good team. They're starting to do it now. It's taken a long time. and They went through a really bad stretch over the last month or so uh, with a lot of injuries. And, and it's it, the one thing I know for certain about the NBA, it's a really, really hard league to win if you have no healthy guards. And their their guard rotation was a mess. And that's you know, good on guys like Dwayne Washington and Saban Lee for stepping forward and giving them minutes. But like, those are G League level guys, right? That's a ten day guy and a guy on a two way. You're only going to go so far with that. And and not only that, they're not replacing two other guys who are just sort of okay. You're replacing Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like that's you know impossible. So I think in this situation, if your Phoenix is get healthy, really just you know get let's get somewhere in the 20-ish game range with Paul, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson all together. Get a Crowder trade done in the next couple of weeks. You got to do something. You got to turn that into somebody who can play for you. And then let, let's see where, where this team goes forward. One thing with Phoenix that I think a lot of people don't know um, with, with the Suns, um, and this is just this, this is the nerd in me, they're the <laughs> only team in the NBA – so you can have seven years worth of draft picks is what's you know eligible to be traded. Uh, you can only go seven years out. So only through 2029. They're the only team in the NBA that owns all of their own first rounders, all of their own second rounders, and no extra picks. So nobody else in the league. So everybody else either has extra picks coming in or they owe some picks out. They're the only team that is clean on both sides of that balance sheet of it's all their own stuff. So They've got the ability to do some stuff if they want. Like you, you know, let, let's see where, where this goes. If you could do Crowder and Sarge, 19 million now with the new owner coming in, they say maybe we could take on a little money and you add a pick or two in there, you might be able to get a really good player if somebody pops free on the market. Like, man, it's just, I love John Collins. Like I'm a huge John Collins guy. If I could turn Crowder and Sarge and a pick in a John Collins, I have to really consider doing that if I'm Phoenix because I think now – now, now we're good. Now we've got a top five that's as good as anybody's in the league. So, first of all, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> first of all, if you're in a 2K player, Keith has basically just gave you the keys to a championship on my GM. <laughs> uh, 
let's be honest. I don't know how you don't sit there playing my gym, Keith. You'd be perfect for it. Hate it, man. I can't. I it's I, it's so I'll play it and I'll play it on. I really only play it on the simulation mode because I, I stink at playing those games. I can't get the shot timing down, and then I'm like. Like back in the day, and be like, "Why is Ray Allen like two of twenty every game from three? Because I suck. Like, have put some balancer in there for the guy who can't <laughs> press the buttons at the right time. But what kills me is like you play it on simulation mode, and then it's like, you know, the the Nets have traded Kevin Durant to the Orlando Magic for Jonathan Isaac and Gary Harris, and it's like that would never happen. Like, why? Like, what is this game logic that this happens? Like, so, but yeah, that's that. that I'll leave that rant. And there's stuff that's broken in there, like can't trade injured players it's not a thing in the nba there's that's 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 not a thing you can trade injured players it happens all the time but i i'll do 2k rants some other time and we'll summer. get someone on from the 2k dev team so we can sure. fix this stuff yeah. um our producer darrow in the background that's your job for the next week but you're trying to get us <laughs> a 2k producer okay last one uh real or not real i was the clippers very quick one no hartenstein they're <laughs> they don't have a backup big like how real is their need for a backup big? How much impact is this having on their ability to be like consistently successful right now? Yeah, you got to get somebody in there that can give you minutes. My guess is it's just going to be Moses Brown, and he's been okay. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I think uh, because of the way that Al <laughs> Horford, Kevin Walker trade went down, and anybody associated with the Celtics, we all got a little irrationally excited about Moses Brown. I wrote three thousand words on Moses Brown. <laughs> In the what the the three weeks he he spent with the team. literally two days after the game I spent I, I think I stayed up all night watching every clip of his uh, professional career right and we're I mean so yeah I, I think the challenge with the Clippers is it's hard to know what exactly they need because they don't care about the regular season they wanted to beat the Lakers like they they played the Lakers last night as we record this on uh, Wednesday morning and played on Tuesday night and they they beat the Lakers fairly handedly because they get up to play the Lakers. They're, they're, you know, crosstown rivals, but against just about everybody else, it's like, they're just kind of going through the motions and don't really care if we win or lose. We're good. We'll hit the playoffs, whatever we hit. It's very odd. It's like, it's like this team that has this attitude of like, been there, done that. We've won championships. So we can deprioritize during your season and just, you know, get there healthy and we'll go in. And you haven't won anything. You haven't even won series. Like, like let's, let's knock this off a little bit. Let's go win something first before we get too deep into this. Like, you know, let's prioritize. So it's hard to know. I mean, I think they need another big, but I don't know. I think they need to give a crap first. Like that's, that would be the first thing I would, you know, be focused on is like, can you like, let's just take, now to the all-star break. We've got about two and a half, three weeks. Play. Play it, play it all the way through really hard. Go win six, seven, eight out of ten, something like that. You know, in that range. And then if you want to take some time off in March, fine. But like just show me you can do it for a couple week period. Because right now I'm like, eh. And full disclosure, this was my NBA finals pick. I picked them to make the NBA finals this year. And I certainly don't feel very good about that. I don't know how to take all this because I'm, I'm <laughs> it was the bit where you were like, they haven't even won a series. It just cracked me up. Um, no, I mean, I mean you look- can't act like you're a championship team when you don't win in the playoffs. Like, you know, I get it. Like, I just, I don't know. It aggravates me. You're get- you got me on a good morning, man. I'm a little fiery this morning. I like it when you're like this. This is uh, this is the Keith that I'm all on board with. I'm going to keep it moving because these are meant to be quick fire. So we're moving on to eye catchers. There's only two this week. One has been catching my eye for probably about three weeks at this point, and that's due to Wantabi. Really like the way he plays. High energy, can score in a multitude of ways. Kind of came to, like, you know, I feel like Jack Vaughn's kind of put him in a position to thrive a little bit. I uh, mm-hmm. just want to see, get your thoughts on Utah Wantabi. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. He plays super duper hard um, all the time. When Whenever he's on the floor, this dude is everywhere. And Raptors fans loved him. I think I think they were legit crushed when they lost him to this, this offseason. And then when he landed with the Nets of all teams, a team that's in the division and you knew you were going to see him, it was just tough. He a little bit limited offensively at times, but he's a guy where – you could tell Jacques Vaughn, who, by the way, heck of a job he's doing coaching the Nets. Um, and what he's got a really good read on is, they need someone to go out there and mix things up. 
for the next five minutes. Run around, dive on the floor, crash into guys, do all sorts of stuff. And that's what Yuta Watanabe has become for them. Absolutely. You know, you if you're going to be a good team, you need guys like him. And the only other guy on here is one of your personal favorite young guys. Unfortunately, though, it means we have to turn our attention to Houston. I'm sorry, Keith. That's okay. Who is Sengun? it? Yeah, Alperin Sengun, man. Love him. He is, he's, he's so fun. Um, I, did you see the Anthony Edwards thing? No, I haven't. I've been unplugged for like 48 hours. <laughs> they played the other day, and Edwards said he told KJ Martin, he's like, he goes, he's too far down on the floor. That's why I dunked on him so hard in the first half. And he told KJ Martin, he goes, he does that. I might get him again in the second half. And he did. And then Anthony Edwards turns, he goes, but shout out to 28. I don't know how to say his name, but that guy can play, man. He's pretty good. So, you know, I, I love Anthony Edwards. He's the best. Yeah, he's, he's like, one of my, my favorite. favorite. Yeah, he's so fun. Um, but it's Shingun can play. He, he is really good. I think what's going to have to happen in Houston to really maximize that entire thing, he, I think he'll be a lot better when you get other good defenders around him. Um, I think that's that's going to be kind of kind of a key thing for for them is you got to figure out how are you going to craft together a good defense. Jabari Smith can defend. He's getting a little lost in a goofy team, but unless their guards and the other wings start caring a little bit more on that end of the floor, it's going to be hard for them to craft a pretty good defense. But but Alperin Shingun's tough man. He talk about we we talked about Nurkic being Jokic light. Shingun does some Jokic stuff. He'll he'll try some passes that it's like all right. I'm I'm with it. Like you know, you you know, you you threw it before your guy was looking and hit him in the side of the head and bounced in the seats. But you made I'm the sorry. right. Yeah, he just wasn't ready. Like, yeah, it's uh, it, he he's fun, man. He's a lot of fun. I was talking to my friend about Sengun yesterday, and one of the first things I asked him was, "Who would you put next to him to hide his defensive deficiencies?" Right. Obviously, that's what they thought they were doing with Garuba. I, I think the mentality they had was. As these two guys play together and develop together, Garuba will be able to kind of mask a little bit for Shengun and kind of help sure. out there. But I think he needs somebody a little bit more experienced playing alongside him that can kind of do what the Robert Williams role does and just mop up any issues. Uh, I don't know who that would be, though. Yeah, it's it's really hard because those guys are so few and far between. Yeah. And it's and it's when you, when you get one, you do you tend to keep them right it's it's not somebody that gets gets moved like it's very easy to say jaron jackson jr like a guy like that well there's like five guys like that in the entire league so it's very hard to to find those kind of guys i think that's one way to do it but i think even if you went with hey let's just get some really good perimeter defenders that can keep him protected from not having to be attacked repeatedly by guys like Anthony Edwards off the dribble who are going to dunk on him, that starts to look a lot better too. Because then you can do some different stuff to keep him out of certain coverages. You know, do do your switchbacks, do your you know backside switching, those kind of things. You can can almost uh, it, it's not mask because it's still there, but you're just working around those deficiencies. But yeah, he he's 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 good, man. He's tough too. He plays really really hard. Like he's not doesn't take any crap out there. I'm a, I'm a big big fan of his. And I just want to touch on this because you said perimeter defenders. So I just want to shout out Davion Mitchell, one of the best perimeter defenders in the West on the best offensive team in the league. I just want to point that out. Yeah, yeah, man. Kings like that beam, baby. Like the beam. I'm, I'm all fired uh, up for the Kings. I want I so badly want this to continue. I don't want them in the play in. I want them in the playoffs. Like, they yeah. Try, the Sacramento fans don't need the stress of actually like having to play their way in. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't think they're going to have to. I, I I think they're legitimately right now for the regular season, the third best team in the West. I, I think this is going to continue. I mean, it's, it's really, really good and good on them too. Uh, uh, Monty McNair and um, Wes Wilcox getting extensions in Sacramento um, and going to stick around there. Good for them for kind of, they made that big trade and they got destroyed for trading Hal Burton. But it was a rebalance of the roster. And, and I said it at the time. I'll say it again here. People treated it like Demonis Simonis was, you know, a backup level big that was just overpaid. And it's like, this is insane. This guy was a two-time all-star. He's really, really good. The fit is really good with Darren Fox. They've got the forwards. I'll throw this out there as an eye catcher. Keegan Murray 
is starting to really figure stuff out now. Starting to find the right shots for him. He's figured out, all right, if I move here off Sabonis, you know, we talked about a lot of this episode was bigs who can pass. Sabonis is a big who can really pass the ball. He looks a lot like his dad at times out there. It is Maurice finding those those spaces where, all right, I got to be here and I got to make this cut at this time. And all right, Barnes is spaced out to the corner. So it's on me to make the weak side crash, all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's really, really cool because I think the game was just moving so fast for him early in the, in the year. And that, that happens a lot and you know, for a rookie guy, but now man, that dude's starting to figure it out. And boy, that team is fun. Does he get coach of the year? Uh, he's probably going to uh, Mike Brown. Yeah. yeah Mike Brown. He's going to be way up there. I think I've I, got him and Missoula kind of neck and neck at I the think, moment. I think they're probably too near the top of the list. I think uh, Mark Dignall and in, in Oklahoma city, especially if that team, they're playing well. they make the play in tournament even, or they're around 500. Like that's wildly ahead of expectations for, for the thunder. Um, and this is without Chet Holmgren as well. Like they're, 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 yeah. they're going to get better without even needing to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is funny because coach of the year to me tends to end up being, it's not always the best coach of the year. It tends to be very regularly the coach whose team exceeded expectations the most. So I do think Mike Brown has a really good shot, but that's not to say it's not deserving. Cause the other thing is too, like you said, they're, they're the, uh, the best offense in, in the league, um, which is absolutely true. But they're starting to creep up a little bit defensively now too. If they can get that defense into the, 15 to 20 range instead of the 20 to 25 range. Now all of a sudden they've, instead of being a fun regular season team, you start to be like, no, this team, depending matchups, they could maybe win a round or two in in the playoffs. If you know, if they hit it the right way. So yeah, fun group there in Sacramento. And with that, I'm going to leave it. I know you've got a hard out in three minutes and I'd like to talk off air for two, three minutes. So everybody, we hope you enjoyed this show. I'm going on an aeroplane, as I like to call them, Skybirds. I hope you hear from me again. You will hear from me again. I'll speak to you soon. Everybody have a great one.